yes, hello, and welcome to Chronomancers. Oh! Oh, gee, uh, well, I came to... I, uh, I came to order a, t a time travel, oh. but, uh, is everything okay? Ah. As well as screaming. Oh, no, it's... Everything's fine. He's having a wonderful time. Oh. He's going into the past to kill an evil king. My blood is becoming fondue cheese. Don't you like cheese? cheese? Oh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, I like cheese, but I don't want my blood to turn yeah. into cheese. You're going to love it. My eyes have become little mouths that are eating my mouth. Oh, uh. what, a, what a wonderfully efficient way to consume food. My skin is becoming smooth jazz. Doesn't that sound lovely? Music everywhere you go. Well, what's going to happen to me? Well, your body will probably turn all of its molecules into stone, then shatter apart into a thousand pieces. Those pieces will melt down in the time that you want to travel to, and then reconstitute themselves, very likely in a form not unlike the one you're in right now. That sounds needlessly complicated. It's it's magic, my dear. I just want to skip ahead a couple weeks to avoid the the fair. I hate jousts. Oh, everyone hates jousts. Well, let me just get my hanging hooks for your back. What? It's fine. Don't worry about it. We have such sights to show you. See, he's having a lovely time. Another I, satisfied uh, customer. I think I want a refund. I'm sorry, you must not have read the policy. There are no refunds at the wizard's house. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my noble co-hosts. Hey, it's Chelsea here. I'm a witch in training, disguised as a hag, so that the guys won't pick up on me, you know? It, it's kind of nice. Kind of flying under the radar there? Yeah. Smart. I get a lot more done this way. Nobody bothers me. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. And uh, I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a... What's your name? <laughs> and I'm Jack, the local poop smith who got <laughs> sent into the future. And, you know, surprisingly, there's a lot of work in my field still you wouldn't think so but you'd be surprised a lot of poop to a lot of poop out there yeah. how how does the poop of today compare to the poop of yesteryear uh well you can tell that there's a much richer diet oh yeah just all around so it has more of a, a pungent aroma uh yeah more a fruitier full-bodied <laughs> You know. <laughs> well, I'm thoroughly disgusted. <laughs> so why don't we talk about what we do here? I don't know what I've gotten myself into. 
But hey, guys, we've got a movie to talk about, so we're going to have to put the poop on the table for now. (laughs) I mean, I think this conversation is pretty perfect for the way my brain is right now, because we just got our second COVID vaccine shots on Friday of last week, and I'm I'm pretty dead brain right now. What's the matter? Poop got your tongue? (laughs) I think dead brain is the perfect mode for this movie. Okay, good. Obviously, that means we are going to be talking about just visiting. That's right. It's the Jean Renault comedy classic American remake of the French film The Visitors which I have not seen, but I am led to believe is basically this exact same movie, but in French. Les Visiteurs. <laughs> God bless you. Um, I, I know we've seen both at one point in the past. I don't think we've seen the French one, have we? Jorge showed it to us. Oh, wow. Friend um, of the show, Jorge. Yeah. I don't remember for sure, but I think it's less slapstick comedy than the American version, but I could be wrong. I mean, that would track with what I know about French films. Yeah. The the comedy is a lot more existential in French movies. Yeah, and I think it's like a little bit headier while while still being silly at the same time. I think... I think Jackass might have been headier than this movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's the, our poop jokes are right in line with the poop jokes that pep were peppered throughout this film. That is true. But before we get into it, I just want to start by saying that this movie was directed by Jean-Marie Poiret. It stars Jean Renault, Christian Clavier. Christina Applegate and Tara Reed, and uh, also Matt Ross and Bridget Wilson. You know, so great cast here, all around. Yeah. I mean, you got to give a nod to our antagonist there. Yes, exactly. We don't want to leave the antagonist out of this um, mess of fun that this movie is. But that's enough about the technical specs. Why don't we get into a little summary? Okay, so. Just Visiting is a fish-out-of-water story involving time travel about love, betrayal. The abuse of the underclasses. Yes. And then also self-confidence and finding your own voice. And the punishment of the underclasses. Right. It kind of is like the framework, the capstone. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the fiber that holds this whole story together. (laughs) So we're going to introduce you to some of the main characters before we give you a little bit more meat of the summary. Oh, man, there's a lot of meat in this movie, too. A lot of gnawing on meat. And bones. Yes. But uh, so our main character, I suppose, even though it's kind of an ensemble cast, but uh, is Thibaut, played by Jean Renault. He's a noble knight who's going to marry an English princess. So Thibaut's French. He's going to England to marry... He's French? An English princess named Rosalind, who's played by Christina Applegate. And his rival in the court, English court arranges to have a witch poison his drink. You know, this is why witches get such a bad reputation. I know. And so when they are having a dinner party and he drinks 
from uh, his cup, he accidentally kills the princess because he gets cursed and he thinks everybody around him is a demon. He just had an LSD trip. No big deal. Yeah. So he's arrested and he has his faithful servant named Andre. Overly faithful, if you ask me. But we're going to get into that. And they enlist the help of a wizard after they're arrested and put in jail. They're going to be sentenced to death. And what's the wizard's name again? The wizard. Cool. Or just wizard for short. <laughs> right. He comes in, he brews up a potion to send them back through time, which is the idea, to just before when he kills Rosalind so that she's alive and they can get married and, and be happy together, ostensibly. And I think so Thibault can <laughs> stop the plot to have him kill his bride. Yeah. That too. Foil the plot on uh, uh, that he is the instrument of? It's a little convoluted. That's okay. So it turns out the wizard forgets a part of the recipe, the grouse eggs, and he accidentally sends them to the wrong time and place. Classic wizard mistake. They're sent to Chicago, 21st century Chicago, and... Thibaut meets Julia, who looks just like his beloved Rosalind, but she happens to be his descendant, Julia. Which implies that even without the time travel element, he still had married Rosalind. Or they boned down before the wedding and they were naughty. And they had a secret heir? Yeah. Okay, I can see that. I, when they went forward in time and he had descendants, I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> okay, okay, all right, all right. You Spoiler, know what? that's a big old spoiler. Those yeah. Those nobles got down. And it means that uh, they had had a, a tryst and a secret child before she was killed. But fun fact, uh, Julia is a Malfet, which means that even though the child of um, Thibault and Rosalind must have been born out of wedlock, they were still accepted back into the noble house at some point. Yeah. Very progressive. So, Thibault gets entrenched in Julia's life. She thinks that he's her cousin that died at sea. Also Thibault, and also played by Jean Renault in the picture of yeah. him. She thinks he just has amnesia and is having like trouble understanding what's going on. She's kind of taking care of him. She takes him back home. She has a fiancé named Hunter. He acts like a doting fiancé, but behind the scenes, we get to see that he's the real antagonist in her life. He's, he's planning on taking her money and running off with some hot young thing. Julia is the sole heir to the uh, Malfet estate as the sole surviving heir. And Hunter is planning to like try to somehow embezzle her money from her and run away with his secretary, Amber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're plotting in the background the whole movie. And um, Thibaut starts to compliment Julia, build up her confidence, and make her, help her see that she's a lion-hearted. That's right. All the uh, Malfet women are lion-hearted, is, yeah. I believe, the line. And throughout the course of the movie, she gains more and more confidence with his influence, and eventually... Based on different things that happen in the film, she starts to believe that Thibaut and Andre are actually from the past. Kind of a twist for a lot of these movies, I feel like. Yeah, and it's... I mean, or at least she she starts coming on to that idea pretty early, I feel but like. But it's partially helped out when they meet the wizard. 
You know what? That would probably sell me on it, too. Yeah. <laughs> when she's like, oh, magic is real? Okay, I guess you're telling the truth. <laughs> it's all I ever wanted to hear. So, um, also, kind of like B-plot, Andre meets a gardener next door to Julia's house. Her name is Angelique. Played by Tara Reed. And, um, I mean, she's a cutie. How could he not? <laughs> and she's super nice and sweet to him. She's very sweet. She has some revolutionary ideas about freedom and about how all humans are created equal. Wild, crazy stuff. They're getting closer. She's kind of teaching him about how to live and think in the 21st century. But also how to be a rampant capitalist. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that. Um, in the end... But they do technically steal their wealth, so... It's true. But so do the billionaires, am I right? Exactly. Thank you. Uh, Somebody finally had the bravery to say it. It always comes back. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, in the end, Julia gains the confidence to kick Hunter out when it becomes apparent that he's cheating on her. And she helps Thibault. <laughs> she also threatens them with a sword. Yeah. She helps Thibault escape because Hunter had called the cops on them. They escape. They get back. A lot of police brutality in this film, yeah. too. They get back to the museum, and the wizard meets up with them, and they are able to get back to their own time. Andre stays behind to live with Angelique, and they go to Las Vegas. Probably a good choice. Let's see. Um, I don't love Las Vegas. It's, it's a little loud for me, and you know, I don't like drink or anything, so... Yeah, I don't gamble. I don't drink. So, but you know that or like whatever century France with no toilets. I'll take the neon lights. Yeah, he also likes the freedom to buy whatever he wants. Sure, who doesn't, right? <laughs> so in the end, Thibault is also reunited with Rosalind back in his own time before she was killed by him, and uh, he kisses her. She's like stone. Everybody in the court is stone, and then he kisses her, and they're all. They all come back to life and uh, they get married, apparently, you know. Oh, oh. And there's a final scene where Julia meets a young, cute French historian who knows everything about her family's estate. And he's a lawyer and he's going to be helping her. And they have a little spark flying there. So you kind of imagine that the love story will continue. And they all lived happily ever after. Except for Hunter, who is sent back into Thibault's time and is forced into indentured servitude. As it should be. <laughs> for Thibault as well. Oh, that's true. He's going to be the indentured servant of Thibault. Yeah. Oh, there. yeah, there you go. Well, happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. That was an amazing summary. Why don't we head into the Dell? Alright guys, so, I don't think I can even start talking about this movie without diving right into that sweet, sweet class struggle. Holy shit, this movie did not win me over at first. I remember liking it the first time I saw it, but when we started rewatching it, the rampant abuse of the lower classes throughout the entire film by everybody with no apparent punchline that was subversive at all until maybe like the third act. 
did not win me over this on this watch through. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's played for laughs just in pure shock value. Yeah, it's true. It sounds like we might need some transition music for Class Struggle. That's sweet themes. I think you're right. Lovely. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, a lot of times when a fantasy movie plays with the ideas of class and like what the lower classes do versus what the upper classes do. And, you know, I'm using these terms in kind of the broadly understood senses. Um, You know, it might be subversive, like we're thinking Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the peasants that King Arthur is oppressing who are calling out the oppressive actions or something like that. Andre, the servant of Thibaut, believes himself to be worthless, acts like a dog, a, a dog basically. He eats dog food. He's, uh, you know, forced to, like, sit at the table, like, behind the, the table on the floor and eat the scraps that Thibaut throws to him. And it is played just for laughs at Andre. Yeah, we're not supposed to. We're not holding a mirror up to the noble system, really. I mean, maybe a little bit. Maybe if you dig real deep into it, but I don't. I I'm pretty confident that the script was designed such so that Andre is viewed simply as a buffoon, with very little in terms of redeeming value. Well, also um, with Angelique, her employer has to walk around a bag of leaves and he's so upset about that that he gets in her face. This is in the modern timeline of the movie and then pushes her over. This is her employer. Yeah, workplace abuses. He's assaulting her and she it, he pushes her down pretty violently to the ground. She trips over some bags of soil and would be pretty hurt and She's still working for the guy and doesn't report him or anything. Now, and, is and that when like, Andre uh, threatens her boss? Yeah. Okay, so this is where you get a little bit of, like, maybe self-aware class commentary where Andre is coming to Angelique's defense, saying that, you know, you can't treat her this way. But then as soon as Thibaut shows up and realizes that Angelique's employer is, you know, a rich man. He's like, yeah. oh, you, you know, you have to, you know, bow down and kiss this man's feet or whatever. And it, it's, again, not played for any kind of subversive messaging. No. Just as a way to be like, you need to know your place. Yeah. And, like, nobody checked with Angelique to ask what happened. Like, Julia didn't ask her what was going on. There, no- Nothing happened with it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess they kind of, they don't even get back at her boss, right? They just leave. Like, yeah. Andre and Angelique take this gilded urn and, like, sell or pawn off gems from it for, like, $25,000 a piece and go on, like, crazy shopping sprees. And that's, I guess, their liberation. Yeah, she tells, Angelique tells Andre, 
Oh, you can have it all. You can have anything you want. You can, you have the freedom to buy anything. Yes, very much reinforcing a status quo narrative, if I've ever heard one. It is basically some version of the Cinderella story. Yeah, you, you basically, democracy and consumerism are intertwined in this narrative, just like IRL. <laughs> and, um, got him. Basically, you, your freedom is to go out and be whoever you want by spending money and buying things. Yeah, that is basically the extent of individualism in this film. And it's in this the... country. <laughs> that too. <laughs> I calls them like I sees them. For sure. Another scene I thought really highlighted, you know, the class struggle in this film was when they were at a fancy restaurant. The four main characters, effectively. Well, aside from Angelique. Right. It was Hunter, Julia, Thibault, and Andre. Right. Well, Andre, he's a peasant, right? He can't sit at the same table as Thibault. So, like in the past, when we saw them eating, Andre has to sit on the floor. And yeah. Thibault, he eats, you know, the meat with his hands. He throws the scraps to Andre, who goes, thank you, master, right, enthusiastically, yeah. and eats it up happily. And all the other rich people are just sort of looking in, like, astonishment and a bit of confusion. However, it's just shock because they're not used to it. We right. see moments later that they're into it. Because the people when, in the restaurant, the rich people at the restaurant. Yeah, the rich people at the restaurant are all for this sort of treatment of the servant. When Thibault is convinced to invite Andre to the table, he finally says, all right, Andre, come on up here, right? Andre comes to sit there with them. Everyone applauds like Thibault is the most generous master they've ever seen. They're like, oh, he's truly so kind. Yeah, it's pretty disturbing imagery. Well, also before that, a elderly patron, a woman, takes a cookie from her plate or something like that and makes kissing noises and pulls it out to Andre like he would to a dog. Yeah, it was extremely disgusting behavior. That's right. That oh, again, I, I, I've reiterated this a few times. I do not believe this was a subversive message that was no. supposed to make the audience appalled at these behaviors. I think it was strictly supposed to be like, look at the filthy pores. Let us mock them for being so useless and stupid. And uncouth and unmannered. And you know, <laughs> like there is the subplot later on where Angelique convinces Andre to leave the employ of Thibault. But she has to literally like drag him to the conclusion that he's being mistreated. Andre is... The doting, loyal servant. He's just like, no, I could never leave my master. He's so good to me. He, like, feeds me dog scraps or whatever. And it's yeah. just like, no fucking medieval peasants thought that they were being treated so fucking well by their lords. There were many peasant uprisings throughout history. People <laughs> exactly. knew they weren't being treated well. This was France, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Revolution be thy name. <laughs> I know. It's true. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, so I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of the comedy in this movie just does not hold up. 
No. Yeah, that scene, that restaurant scene was very disturbing. I did not care for it. Yeah. However, there was a pretty good point, I felt. When Andre goes into the kitchen and he steals just a raw chicken he finds and an umbrella. He sticks the chicken on the umbrella and he's kind of looking around, sneaking about. He sees a fireplace in one of the lounging areas. He just starts sticking it in there and rotating it. Trying to rotisserie his own chicken. Yeah. And the Major D is like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, oh. <laughs> he, he drops it and he just runs back to the dining room. Yeah. It's pretty good. That guy really was a Major D. Yes. <laughs> Bag. Also, <laughs> just, you know, to how you say validate our pee-pee poo-poo. Humor. <laughs> yeah. Please, please do it. Yes. Andre goes into the restroom <laughs> and he's playing around with the urinals. He's like, oh, the magic fountains, the water. A guy comes in and sees Andre just splashing his fingers in the urinal water. Is just like, oh, God, what have I come upon? <laughs> Andre's like, look, the fountain water. Yes. And the guy's, like, just trying to slide into a stall and not be interacted with. Pretty good. But the real clencher is when Andre takes one of the urinal patties. Cakes, yeah. Yes. The urinal cakes. He's like, oh, minty, it's like a forest. He yeah. breaks it apart. And then when the crew is standing outside the restaurant, he's eating it. And then he passes it to everyone for them to eat. And Tabot and Julia, they both detect that there's something funky about it. Yeah. Probably the piss flavor. <laughs> yeah. And they spit it out. But then Hunter, he's like, you know, this is some grade A primo shit. Now Give this, me another. <laughs> this yeah. harkens back to a lot of comedies of this era that uh, like to infer that the antagonist is some kind of uh, pervert or deviant or has like a taste for disgusting things like yeah is a uh, <laughs> a piss drinker i guess in this, in this case <laughs> well he loves these terrible smoothies oh okay yeah. do you think it's tied to that yeah. they're just like oh but i mean yeah and the smoothie the coating on the smoothies too is like oh it's like uh like a healthy, like, veggie shake that's so disgusting. Honestly, like, it just looks like one of the apples and greens kind of smoothies, which are actually really good. Oh, yeah, worth trying, listeners. <laughs> so so this movie both, like, uh, loves the wealthy, but also hates, like, healthful diets and stuff. Well, they like the entrenched nobility and hate the nouveau riche. There you go, exactly. Yeah. And the poor, so... Well, they really fucking hate the poor. Yeah. The nouveau riche are, like, bad, but at least they might have schemes and plots. But the poor? Just stupid. Andre has no autonomy, no thought of anything beyond being a literal servant and slave to Thibaut. Yeah. But Hunter is coded as at least having, like, ambition. Right. So connected to the themes of class, I'm going to call unconsciousness, yeah. is the theme of punishment that goes throughout the movie. Now, yeah. often we see in this movie 
those of the poorer classes are mistreated. And when they are, let's say, led to try to find alternative routes to uh, making a living, they're punished for it. For example, when we've seen this in another movie, Thibaut catches a purse thief and threatens to literally cut his arm off in the middle of Chicago, in a Chicago street. And Julian's just like, no, you can't do that. Like, you you can punish this guy, but not like that. Like, just completely not questioning why this person is stealing purses. Yeah. Not having any empathy for him. Just like, oh, isn't he lucky that this maniac with a sword didn't lop his arm off? Right. And similarly, that's how Thibaut treats Andre when he finds Andre attacking the rich neighbor. As soon as he finds out that this rich neighbor is a, quote, noble, it's like, oh, well, you struck him. You have to be punished now. Right. And the movie is not sending these things up, I don't feel. No, it the way it's treated is nobody else around them questions it, except for when he was going to actually lop the guy's hand off. But the fact that people should be punished for certain transgressions is not questioned. Exactly. And, you know, when Andre and Thibault wake up in the present in the museum that they have been asleep in yeah. somehow, but when they are caught at the museum, they're uh, abducted by the police and yeah. brutally beaten and say that they were beaten by the cops. And nobody's concerned about that. Nobody's at all concerned with the police brutality that was committed against them. Yeah, and Julia works at that museum, and she and her boss are just watching them being brutally beaten with the clubs by the cops. Yeah, and they're just kind of, like, nonplussed about it. She leaves and just walks away from them getting beaten. And then um, she notices that the crest on Thibaut's ring that she was holding is her family crest. Then she comes back in and says, I know this man. Yeah. Oh, please stop beating him. He actually is my relative. So, but you know, if he was not my relative, then he would deserve this beating. I know. All right. But if you think about how far they are actually removed as relatives, she's about as related to Thibaut as you are to any stranger in the world. (laughs) Well, but remember, she thinks that he is actually her lost cousin who was on a boating trip. It's true. Who does it's look true. identical to Thibaut because he's also Jean Renault. Yes. Yeah, it's true. I mean, all humans alive today are related to one another by about at least 2%, which dates back to our common ancestor from Africa. 2% is high. Yeah. 2% is really high. Yeah, the human race today is all one big family. And we get along just like a family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot of infighting. What's that nuke you've got over there? Fuck you. That's what it is. Hey, hey, let's all just relax. (laughs) Classic Thanksgiving dinners, am I right? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it's like at my family's house. We've all got nuclear armaments, at least. And we're all pointing them at each other. (laughs) If I'm going down, everyone is going down. It's just that my uh, weapons of mass destruction are from my mouth. Yeah. Mine come out of my ass. (laughs) (laughs) 
guys, I'd love to keep talking about this movie, but before we go any farther, why don't we head to the bounty board? You feel the molecules of your body reforming after what feels like hundreds of years. Your stone flesh melting away into skin. The puddle that is you becoming whole again. Your body reforms horrifically and consciousness returns to you in a horrifying flash. You look around confused in a room both ancient and modern. A stone chamber cleft in half and modern stone and marble walls. You look down at the last thing that you remember, a sheet of paper, and on it, scrawled in a hasty hand, it reads, Bounties? Hey, you there. That's right, I'm talking to you. You look like someone who loves stories. Now, don't be so surprised. It's my business to know things. And that's why I know you'll love Audible, because they've got all the stories. So many stories you could live your whole life exploring new worlds inside your imagination. They've got audiobooks, podcasts, comedy, and all the spoken word content you could ever want, all in one convenient place. And there's this rumor going around that if you head to audibletrial.com slash swords right now, you can get a free 30-day trial of Audible, including a credit for a free audiobook of your choice. Think of all the great stories you could be listening to. What's that? Do I use Audible? Oh, friend, you know I do. In fact, I've got a finely curated collection of content that I've put together with some of the best works in fantasy, film, and cultural studies. If you're looking for a good lead on your first podcast, you could try His Majesty's Dragon by Naomi Novak. Ever wonder what the Napoleonic Wars would have been like if they were fought with dragons? Of course you have! So clearly, that's the book for you to try. Plus, Audible has all your favorite podcasts, like Swords and Satire. So head over to audibletrial.com slash swords and sign up for your free 30-day trial. You'll be giving yourself a little treat and helping out your favorite satirists. After that, it's just $14.95 a month. What a bargain, right? As a member, you'll get a credit every month for an audiobook and access to loads of audio content. And even if you cancel, not that you're going to want to, of course, you still get to keep all of your audiobooks. Now that's what I call a good deal. And now back to the show. All right. Well, we mentioned it a few times in our discussion on class struggle. But uh, I think loyalty is another thing they mention a lot in this movie. And Chelsea, you were saying loyalty and betrayal as sort of two sides of the same coin is what you said, right? Yeah. And uh, I was just sort of thinking about the behavior of Thibaut and Julia, right? How there are a few scenes where Thibaut, you know, drops everything, his way of life. Uh, the opinions of others, you know, because he thinks everything should go Julia's way. Mm 
He's like, this isn't my time. This is Julia's time. And Julia is my descendant. What she says goes, and I'm going to support it, right? Yes. Now, that's a part of the film that I like quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Like, there's the scene when they're at the restaurant, and Hunter is basically saying, like, oh, yeah, we're actually going to sell your property. And Thibault cuts him off and is like, you know, it's Julia's property. Let's see what she thinks. And Julia's like, you know, I actually, I'm, I'm going to think about it a little longer. I'm not so sure. Yeah. Hunter's like, Julia, what are you talking? And he gets cut off. And uh, Thibault uh, cuts him off saying, like, she has spoken. It's her <laughs> property, right? Yeah. You're just like, oh, shit. Okay. Uh, that's He's the just- part about his um, whole creed as a nobleman that I actually kind of liked. Yeah. He's like, you know what? That's pretty progressive, all yeah. things considered, gotta say. And I wanted to say, he's a medieval knight, right? One of the testimonies of medieval knights is respecting women. However, that doesn't imply that you let yourself be told what to do by a woman, right? Especially one who's your descendant. I think in the time he's from, that would be a pretty uncommon thing to a degree. And when it comes to things like when Andre wants his freedom, Thibaut is upset by that. He's like, what are you talking about? You're my property. Yeah, he said, I own you. (laughs) Not progressive at all in that particular attitude. No, he's angry about like he's like, what are you talking about? Doesn't he threaten Andre with violence? He does. He threatens. He has a violent demeanor. Yeah, he threatens him for sure. Yeah, and then Julia's like, "Yo, Tibo, he wants to be free. Just let him go." And Tibo's like, "All right, Julia, sure." Well, she says right. it's the noble thing to do. Yeah, and so he's like, "All right, Andre." I guess you're a free man. Yeah, I don't want to give the slave owner too much credit for nobly freeing his slave. No, he's actually kind of a shit about it. Yeah, he's a huge shit about it. He won't look Andre in the face and he just turns his back to him and that's the end of it. And he doesn't even say goodbye to this man that's been taking care of him for years. Who's literally been cleaning up his shit. He just turns his back to him and waits for him to leave. And Andre is just kind of like, oh, I guess that's it then after all these years of service. And he just kind of like looks at Julie and he's like, bye. Yeah. And he leaves. It's kind of depressing. <laughs> it's true. Andre is the one who had all the loyalty yes, in that relationship for true. sure. And Thibaut is the one who has all the loyalty to Julia. Yeah. And I just thought that was a pretty interesting scene that he's like, I guess I'll give up my lifetime servant for this. Sure. Also, when Julia has Thibaut invite Andre to sit at the table, that was a custom that he broke for her. And he was really pushing hard against that, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he set aside his own priorities for someone he cared about, you know? Yeah. That would be probably amongst his better qualities, his his loyalty to his family. Of which there seem to be few. Very few. (laughs) Yes. But you were also saying betrayal 
is a theme. That's right. I mean, primarily in regards to manipulation through people's emotions. You know, um, Hunter is the obvious character that is portraying this behavior. Right. Yes. He is betraying Julia, her trust, and he's planning to steal from her. And he's also betraying her in the fact that he's cheating on somebody else. They do not have an open relationship. They are they have a monogamous relationship. Well, ostensibly. I mean, apparently. That's what Julia believes. Yes. And so he's going behind her back with that. And he manipulates her by telling, like, kind of love bombing her. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what he does. And trying to portray that he's loyal only to her and gets her to believe that she needs to be dependent on him. And he calls all the shots in their relationship. Yeah, he's like the guy who controls, like, the assets and he sits at a big, ridiculous marble, like, boardroom table and he's making the decisions while his, I guess, assistant is sitting on his lap. I know, it's disgusting. Julia (laughs) regains her confidence in herself through Thibaut's support and reminding her of their family creed or their motto, courage is our creed. (laughs) That's a little on the nose, but sure. It's simple, but... She reminds Hunter that all the women in her family are, are lion-hearted, and he's always trying to call her his bunny. Right. Using the not the folkloric symbolism that goes along with a rabbit, it's more of the pop culture view of rabbits that are kind of like timid and... Uh, Weak and needy and scared. Yeah. And so at the end, when she is standing up to him. She's like, you made me think I was a bunny. I'm not a bunny. I don't think like a bunny. I don't look like a bunny. I am a lion. And that's when she brandishes the sword at him. But it's a pretty good moment when she finally stands up to her manipulator and kicks him out. It's pretty good. Yeah, that's a great scene where she's pointing the sword at him. And then she sheathes it, but jabs him in the solar plex. (laughs) And you think something else is going to, like, be built up to. But he's just like, oh, what are you? And then you just see Thibaut reach for his head. And then it immediately cuts to Hunter being thrown out the door. That cut was so aggressive. You just see, like, the hand suddenly come into frame and grip Hunter by the side. (laughs) Yeah, Hunter the dickhead, but he might have a case against (laughs) uh, Thibaut. Yeah. It was just like... Just the manner of how sudden the hand grabbing him by the head was. Because you don't see Thibaut approaching. He just suddenly comes in from off screen. It's high impact. I loved that shot. I was like, oh, shit. It was a jump scare even. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But so I just want to say one more thing about loyalty. There's also a lot about loyalty to oneself, especially in the 21st century and with what the characters say there. It, it's also tied in with the freedom idea and, and being loyal to your own desires and wants. And that, that's it's kind of wrapped up in being self-confident and standing up for yourself. Yeah, I can dig that. Mm-hmm. There's a handful of good messages throughout the movie. Yeah, not all bad. 
All right, guys. Well, we've said a lot about the movie. I think we've pretty much covered everything we want to say for the analysis. Why don't we head to the smithy? Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature of the film. Jack, do you want to give us your epic moment or feature and then tell us your rating from 1 to 10 swords? Oh, sure. I feel I may be stealing someone's epic moment. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised. But it's when the wizard is in the modern day. Okay. Right? He's already met back up with Tibbo and Julia. He's like, oh, hey, you found me. Well, I'm going to send you back. I just got to get the potion made. Go get Andre and we'll do it. This is my hotel room. They're like, oh, sweet. The wizard's working away in there. And he's been proven to be a bit spacey when it comes to ingredients. He has this whole alchemical setup of beakers and vials and bubbling brews. Yeah. And then uh, something goes wrong. (laughs) And he explodes. (laughs) The entire apartment just blows up. It's true. And and they're like, oh, where's the wizard? Oh, he exploded. (laughs) I know. and, And Tibbo's just like, Damn British wizards. <laughs> it's like, whoa! He's one of the most important characters. He just blows up. His body explodes. Yeah. He's great. I love that. That's the sort of chaotic energy I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. It's pretty good. The movie, like one of you said, it's an edgier night before Christmas. Yeah. Right? And it is in just so many ways. There are even some scenes which are similar. A lot of uh, a lot of the scenes I found very funny. However, like you said, there are a lot of problematic parts of it. And I think that's supposed to be part of the joke. Look how problematic history was, right? But uh, I don't know if I want to give the movie that much credit, but sure. I think that was the idea. But uh, I got a lot of good laughs out of it. So I think... Perhaps due to pacing, some of the ideas in it, and, uh, you know, it was a fine movie. I'm happy I saw it. It was a good time. I don't know if I would want to rewatch this. I think one time is enough for me. And for that reason, I'm going to give it four out of ten swords. It was fine, but I don't need to see it more than once. That's tough but fair. Chelsea, how about your epic moment or feature, and then your rating from one to ten swords? Well, I was going to do something with the wizard, too. He's epic. Yeah. I was going to do the part where he comes back together after he's blown up. (laughs) Yes! Yes! But I'm going to do a Jamie and say I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to do another one, and I'm going to get Sneak <laughs> 2 in there that way. Oh, <laughs> yes. You're yes. learning my secrets. <laughs> so I'm actually going to do, when they go back to their own time, after Thibaut kisses Rosalind, Rosalind, Rosalind? Rosalind. <laughs> oh, boy. So 
he kisses her. They all come back to life. And the wizard looks at them and he smiles and he's like, oh, everything's as it should be. He starts walking away. He swivels on his feet and he's still wearing those uh, leather cowboy boots. American flag cowboy boots. <laughs> yeah. And it pans back and wa- he's walking past some guards and he's got the cowboy hat on too. And he's strolling through. He's strutting through like a boss. I don't know if we mentioned that the wizard buys an entire cow or buys or steals an entire cowboy ensemble. It's pretty great. <laughs> And he's got the long wizard beard and everything. It looks pretty awesome. I love the cowboy wizard look. It's great. It, it goes along with the idea that warlocks are source or warlocks are cowboys. So. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I I loved his style and his strut. So that's my epic moment. I'm gonna give this movie six out of ten swords. Wow. It's uh it's actually pretty fun to watch. And there were some funny moments, for sure. Uh, but, yeah, they kind of fell short of being subversive of some of the class struggle elements that we talked about. So it lost some points for that. But, yeah, I don't know how much rewatchability it has, like Jack said. But I think it's it can be fun if you just want to turn on something and you don't much care. It's an It's a perfectly fine movie. How about that? How about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment or feature in your rating out of 1 to 10 swords? Yes, tell us, Jamie. Well, Jack totally stole mine with the wizard. Of course. So, that's okay. He's the most epic character. He is. He's the best character, played by Malcolm McDowell. So, I mean, just, you can't go wrong. Yeah. But, since you guys stole my wizard, I'm just going to say that my epic feature of this movie is Christina Applegate. She yeah. is absolutely charming. She true. sells the fuck out of her role. Yeah. Out, out of both roles. As it's the true. English queen. Princess. You know, it's all nobility Tomato, to tomato. Yeah, exactly. As the English noble. Potato, potato. Potato, <laughs> potato, thank you. As the English noble. I, I like yeah. her. I, was, I, I thought that was fun. And then as Julia. Really nice character arc. Nice growth and progression of the character throughout from the beginning when we meet her is kind of uncertain and like she wants to know what's going on she works in a museum which is super cool um she's trying to figure stuff out and then getting to the end she's got confidence she feels like she's finally met somebody who instills a sense of purpose in her and i thought that was that was a fun arc to watch her follow yeah. the scene where Thibaut teaches her to sword fight in the alley probably one of my favorite scenes yeah seriously it is. yeah at first she's like i don't know if i can do this and then next thing you know she is hacking old refrigerators apart and like beating up bags of garbage Thibaut sees something in her that she didn't even know was there she tries to give up in that moment she's like i can't do this he's like he just steps back instead of taking the sword back. He says, try again. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, he's not forcing her. He's just guiding her. I yeah. thought that was I thought that was nice. I thought it was a good arc. And, you know, the, the whole great, 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 great grandfather slash daughter thing was, was kind of like kind of fun. He slotted into that role really nicely. I was afraid that Tabo was going to be like into her. Yeah. And he just takes a very grandfatherly yeah. role with her. And I, I thought that was cute. 
It was, uh, they actually, we forgot to mention this scene earlier, but they did have a really cute moment with that. And actually, I was surprised it was a touching scene when they were saying their goodbyes when he was going to go back in time. Yeah. And he says, a part of me will always be with you and your children. And Christina Applegate, like you said, she plays up the emotion of that scene really well. She starts to get tears in her eyes and you really feel it. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. And I, you know, I grew up loving Christina Applegate. Yeah, I mean, me she's too. always been a, a favorite of mine recently with stuff like Dead to Me. I love that. I mean, yeah. just just a, a stellar career. And whatever I might have to say about this movie, she is absolutely the standout feature. Yeah. Christina Applegate and The Wizard. Yes. So all that being said, I think I'm going to give this movie three and a half swords. Whoa. So humor, mm. comedy is a really tough genre, yeah. right? What comedy holds up from even like a few years and then like a decade or more, most comedies are going to fall flat. It's so temporal. It's so They're usually so much of their time. It's Absolutely. Hard. So yeah. this movie already had a tough gig coming in to... 2021, when we're watching and talking about it. From 2001. Yeah. This movie is 20 years old. A 20-year-old comedy. Wow. Most comedies from that era just are not going to hold up. This one, I fear, holds up a little bit worse than a lot of others. Because there is, again, as I said multiple times up to this point, no meaningful, subversive element behind the jokes about poverty. Yeah. Poverty is to be mocked. You are, if you are poor, you are a fool and you deserve whatever you're stuck with. That feels like the message that this movie is throwing out. And please don't clip this statement that I'm making out of context. (laughs) It just feels so mean spirited. And it just, I, I had a really hard time getting into it because of that. There are moments, as we've said, there are moments I enjoyed with it. I liked some of the cast. I've always been a fan of Jean Renault. This one just doesn't do it for me. And I don't think comedy is necessarily his chops. Yeah. I think that it was interesting that they took a chance casting him for a comedic role, but I would say it doesn't really pay off. He can do little bits of comedy, but he just, his personality seems a little off for it. Mm-hmm. I think like the best comedic moments for him are like in Leon the Professional when he's doing the puppet show for Natalie Portman. Yeah. Like when it's awkward, I think he can pull it off. When he's supposed to be really confident and yeah. also a kind of a buffoon, it just didn't work for me. That's just me though. So three and a half swords. All right. I'm glad we watched it, but yeah. I think with, with Jack, I probably don't need to see it again. Also, if you're one of the people listening who worked on this film and you don't like you don't feel good about the ratings we gave it. Remember that I rated this higher than Monster Hunter, which had a I'm confident a much higher budget and much larger production crew. And if you're one of the people who worked on Monster Hunter and that made you feel bad, at least you made art. (laughs) True. Yeah. But those are our thoughts. Why don't you hit us up on social media and let us know what you thought about the film. You yeah. can follow us at Swords and Satire 
on Instagram and Twitter or join the Sword and Satire Facebook group. If you love what we do and you want to hear more of it, you can't get enough of us, then maybe you want to consider joining our patron community. You can head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and become a supporter of our show. You will also have perks that go along with that, like special bonus content, our rewriting history episodes, and you can vote on the movies we watch every month. But if you don't have any coins to toss your favorite satirists, feel free to go tell your <laughs> friends in the past, present, or future about this podcast. Hopefully not too far in the past, though. Because, uh, you know, we did have a start date. Let's However, say a year and a half in the past. Yeah. Or like two years. It's like, oh, man, in six months, you're going to be really excited. Yeah, you could promote us. Yeah, go back and hype us up. And uh, Also, give know, us the keys to that sweet time travel device you've got there. I just want the book with all the baseball uh, teams that are going to win the World Series. Uh, you know, I, I'm not so sure that's a good idea, but we'll get to that in a later episode. <laughs> and if you'd be so kind, maybe consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcatcher. It really helps people find out about our show. Yeah. But until next time. Hail Damn, we got this down, son. <laughs>